Rob Wong is the calming voice of reason among the stormy sea of hot takes. This is the Sportsnet Hot Stove on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, joined alongside by Mark Boffo and Brent Gunning on this Saturday morning. Happy All-Star Weekend in the National Hockey League. The games go tonight in St. Louis beginning at uh, 8 o'clock. We saw the skills competition last night, of course. We'll get more into that coming up later in the program. Our thoughts on what we saw. They, they tried some new things. A for effort. Mitch Marner was robbed. Mitch Marner was potentially robbed in the uh, shootout. I, I I was disappointed. They brought Brett Hull out, which was really cool, uh, even though he shanked the shot. into. He almost, like, shot it into the stands. I honestly expected him to, like, funnel a beer immediately, <laughs> do the TJ Oshie, like, beer through the jersey thing. Like, anything was on the table the second they brought him. But, but, but to me, they missed out, man. Like, the OG commercial of that, of course, is Wayne Gretzky and Matt Sundin. They should have brought there. out Wayne... At least, and have him take a shot. Maybe flew in Mats from uh, Sweden and have him participate. And for us that saw that commercial growing up, that would have been a perfect homage. So I thought they missed out on that. But cool seeing the uh, Brett Hall cameo at the very least. There were a lot of cameos, actually, in fact, for the uh, St. Louis Blues. But like I mentioned, we'll get more into that coming up later in the program. Uh, we got to kick things off talking about the Toronto Raptors, guys, who were uh, winners last night in New York against the uh, Knicks. Definitely a game that was uh, closer than I expected. 118-112 the final as uh, Kyle Lowry continues to do Kyle Lowry things and Pascal Siakam showing why he is an all-star. And let's begin there, in fact, with Pascal Siakam getting the all-star nod. I think a lot of people thought maybe he should have been there last year as a reserve, but he gets a promotion, uh, the ultimate promotion, becoming an all-star starter, getting voted in for the uh, first time in his Career. We've talked so much about how meteoric of a rise it has been for Pascal Siakam, a guy that's only been playing basketball within like the last 10 years of his life. It's been pretty crazy to watch. And, you know, thinking back to when he was first drafted, all I can remember was that year, you know, you go into a typical mock draft if uh, you're like me and you kind of follow you know, college basketball casually. Maybe you're looking at mock drafts, you're doing a lot of reading. I'd never even thought Pascal Siakam was on my radar for the Raptors um, with that pick in the late 20s. I remember like Scal Labissier was a guy that I, I was like, man, the Raptors should take a gamble on this guy. It's a late first round pick. Like, what's the worst that could happen? It feels happen? like there's always some guy who went to some massive program like Scal. I believe he went to Kentucky there. there. There seems like there was always some like seventh man on a massive college program that you're talking yourself into because you watch them two times. And then this guy comes out of, I believe, New Mexico State and and completely blows uh, everyone away. Yeah, and Scal went right after uh, Pascal Siakam did to Phoenix 28th overall. Uh, but I remember he was in the mix. I remember like a guy in uh, like um, Henry Ellenson actually went earlier in that draft. He was a shooter. He was a I wanted him as well. Yeah, He was a guy that the Raptors were potentially looking at. But uh, in the end, they uh, picked the right guy in uh, Pascal Siakam. That was also the uh, Jakob Pertl draft at 
number nine. Uh, taking a look, actually, now at the back half of that first round, DeJounte Murray has become a, a pretty solid player for the San Antonio Spurs. He went 29th. And then in the second round, Malcolm Brogdon went 36th overall to the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, Patrick McCaw was in that draft, getting picked by Milwaukee, 38th. And uh, beyond that, that, that was pretty much the extent of you know late draft picks that I've had an impact, but that, but but that just shows you, I mean, how far this guy has come Mark that, you know, he was really an afterthought in that draft. And you're wondering, Oh God, is this another Bruno situation for the Raptors? Are they taking a shot on a guy that's going to end up becoming nothing? Turns out they uh, landed a superstar in Pascal Siakam and he is now headed to the all-star game for the first time in his career. Man, it's been amazing to see his development in such, such a short time. And you're right about that draft. You're kind of wondering if it'll be, if, they're going to just go for a shot in the dark here and make it like a Bruno 2.0 pick. Mind you, it's a bit easier to kind of go for those dart throws when it's the second pick in the first round and they'd already taken Pirtle at nine, like you'd mentioned. But like, man, like the fact that they like, I don't know, it, it, it's a shame that it, I it, it kind of comes to me this way. But like you think back to the Kawhi Leonard trade and it's like just the fact that you didn't even have to give him up in the deal which, you know, I think to a casual basketball fan, somebody that's not following the Raptors day in, day out, you know, people would have thought that was more than a fair ask to get somebody of Kawhi Leonard's caliber as a throw-in. Instead, they decide on Pirtle, and uh, it just paid dividends huge right now for the Raptors and the whole fan base and the whole organization because uh, it's this all-star, this all-star starting odd is complete validation for his career at this point. Yeah, you would think with Pirtle being the the ninth pick there and, and Siakam going so much later, you, you would typically think like that'd be a pick the Raptors really be, oh man, if only they would have been able to nail that one. Imagine the situation you'd be in. But you look at the guys who went kind of right behind him, you know, Thon McCour, okay, maybe, maybe you like him. Sabonis is obviously the one guy who really jumps out. But the, like you said, Boff, the fact that you were able to turn Jakob Pirtle at least in part into the season and the run that Kawhi Leonard gave this team, it, it's so amazing. And then in getting back to Siakam, the fact that, he, I'll admit, hands up, as good as he looked in the run throughout the finals last year, I still was like, oh, okay, I kind of need to see it this year where he's going to be the focal point. And he came out on fire to start the season. He hit a little slump, and now he's kind of bounced back to really finding his rhythm. He was instrumental in the win last night. It's just one of those things where when you have a guy who has constantly made leap after leap after leap, you wonder if, you know, how many how many more times can we honestly ask this player to do this? And it feels like Siakam just keeps on proving he's up to the challenge. Yeah, and like you mentioned, at some point he's going to hit his ceiling. It's not going to be unlimited. You know, I remember last year really being hesitant to even say it on the air because I wondered if it was blasphemous. But I was like, man, I watched Pascal Siakam play and not saying he's going to get to that point. But there's a little bit of Giannis and Tedekumpo in there. And even at that time, you know, Giannis this year has figured out to, you know, how to hit the outside shot a lot more consistently. But Pascal was hitting the outside shot at a pretty decent clip, had, you know, very similar, you know, a style to Giannis being able to get to the rim, has that, you know, big lanky body, has the ability to put the ball on the floor as well. And you're like, man, I, I could see like him down the line being a poor man's version of uh, Giannis. Uh, Giannis has taken his game to another level, obviously, but you can still see the comparisons in these two players and uh, there are some similarities there uh, but like like you mentioned and I would agree as well like I, I didn't see this coming even based off of last year uh, you thought okay Kawhi Leonard's gonna go Pascal's gonna get a great opportunity here maybe he'll 
you know, by the end of the season, look like the type of guy that you can, you know, see moving into that number one role for the next, you know, five plus years. He obviously has that extension now, um, but it was like right off the bat and it was like, wow, okay, Pascal Siakam is here and he's ready to take over this uh, number one role. Still has a lot to work on, of course, with his game. I think his defense has fallen off just a, a little bit, but that could be very well just, you know, effort, right? You're expending so much energy being that number one guy taking eight more shots a game, trying to be the focal point of the offense that sometimes you have to take a break on defense or else you're going to get gassed out. Um, but that's, you know, part of learning how to be that number one guy, the the guys like Giannis, the guys like Kawhi Leonard, you know, they play it on both ends and, and they find a way to, you know, have that energy to do it for, you know, 36 plus minutes a game off. Of. Well, he, you know, like he's just so willing to learn and it's like, okay, like, I think that's a great point you make about how he's maybe taxing himself a bit more on the offensive side of the ball because guys are keen in on him more and he has more responsibility. But, like, he's not the type of guy who, at least to me, on the outside looking in, that seems like I'm not going to work on my game further to try to maximize my my skill set at both ends of the floor. Like, because he only started playing basketball, you know, seven, eight years ago, it just seems like he's embracing, like, the challenges as they come up. Okay, well, I've, you know, I'm, I'm out with injury. I've got to learn how to come back and, you know, be strong right off the bat after missing some time. I've got to learn how to be the alpha on the offensive end while still running back and giving effort on, on the defensive end. I thought in yesterday's game he tried to, he was he was trying to make more of an effort on the defensive glass. Like the Knicks are a team that like to crash the boards a little bit. But yeah, I just feel like he's, like if you were to take him in the draft again, like where would he go top three in that draft? Like Ben Simmons went one that draft. I, I Jamal Murray, I think like he's definitely in the top three. You got to say, and I don't know. I'm ex- I'm excited to see what else he can do because I just think with the extension in tow and just him being the guy on this team now, and he will be the guy on this team. I think it's still Kyle Lowry as the face of the Raptors, yeah. but well, until Giannis shows up. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're kind of <laughs> joking. Be nice. We're kind of joking about this. And we've always talked about that in that magical summer and the Raptors can't commit too much, but in all honesty, Pascal Siakam is the perfect recruitment tool because he has proved he is perfectly happy and capable of being the second, or even if he needs to fall back into that extent, a third banana. We saw that the entire stretch run with this Raptors team last year. Also, he's somebody who is clearly very comfortable in his own skin. The team seems to like him, but he doesn't need to be the, you know, this is my team because we all know whose team the Raptors is. First, it's Kyle Lowry's, then it's Masai Ujiri's, and then it's everybody else's and everyone just kind of falls in line. So, you know, again, Enjoy what you have with this Raptors team. It's not all about just looking toward, uh, forward to the summer of Giannis, but if you want to do that and start looking ahead, it's like, well, Siakam's not this demonstrative guy that it would have problem kind of sharing the ball or, or allowing Giannis to really take the lead. I, I could really see that happening. And then just to jump back to the idea of the redraft that you you brought up there, Boff, I mean, like, I feel like he could probably go second. I mean, Brendan Ingram, you like him because of how young he is and the upside there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jalen Brown, same kind of deal. Ben Simmons is going to go one. Despite all his obvious kind of flaws, he, he's so special as a player. He's still going to be the first pick in that draft. But I mean, I, I don't know that it's a slam dunk that you take Ingram or Brown o- over Pascal Siakam. Jamal Murray, same deal. When, when you factor age into it, that, that's what makes it jump out. But in terms of the player they are right now, I'd say Siakam is probably the second best player from that draft. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, just looking at what they have done so far. And, you know, 
we look at this Raptors team and full credit to Pascal himself for, for getting himself to this point, becoming an all-star starter. But uh, a lot has been made as well about this uh, Raptors organization, their de- developmental staff, Raptors 905, and, and how big that has been. And, and you look at even in recent years, a guy like Terrence Davis decides to, to sign with the Raptors. Obviously, they're willing to give him you know some dough and uh, an NBA contract. But I have to imagine the you know him watching sort of the the, the the, the uh, developmental system that this Raptors team has put together, being able to groom guys and, and turn Pascal Siakams into all-stars and, you know, OG Ananobis into, you know, pretty solid at the very least, you know, role players in the NBA, the growth of a guy like Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet's, of course, an undrafted guy to see where he's gotten to. You would have to think, you know, people around the NBA and, you know, whether it's undrafted free agents, second round picks, late first round picks, free agents, maybe looking at this Raptors team, young guys and being like, you know what? It's not the worst idea to get drafted and go to Canada or play, you know, with the Toronto Raptors anymore. It wasn't that long ago that nobody wanted to come here. Heck, even DeMar DeRozan mentioned, like, when he first got drafted, didn't know much about Canada, was kind of unsure about what was going on. And, you know, obviously uh, this place holds a a special place in his heart. But you have to wonder. uh, People are talking about this team maybe now as Spurs North with the kind of, you know, diamonds in the rough that they're able to groom and, and, you know, have on on their uh, roster moving forward. So, you know, maybe that plays into it. Uh, I, I don't know to what extent but I can't imagine it hurts that other people are seeing what the Raptors are doing with a lot of these uh, young guys and, you know, unheralded players coming out of the draft that they're able to turn them into all-star players. And, you know, in Fred Van Vliet's case, you know, a a starter as well. So I I think that could potentially go a long way over the next few years. I'd argue the, the relationship that that Raptors and the Toronto Raptors and Raptors 905 have is the most fruitful kind of minor pro relationship in, in pro sports. It, it feels like, and I'm, I'm speaking from a little bit of a point of ignorance here, but it feels like a soccer feeder system where you've just got this kind of youth team that's constantly feeding you players and bodies. Again, it's one thing you're thrilled if your G League team can turn out like a ninth or an eighth man for you. That for most teams is like, wow, we were really able to do something and to develop here and to get your leading scorer and one of your, the key, key components of your backcourt, not to like, again, Terrence Davis would be the diamond in the rough for most G Leagues to be able to, to turn that player into something like him. And he is the third, fourth, fifth most impressive kind of success story from that point for the Raptors. It's tremendous what they're able to do. And of course, also, yes, we keep harping on it, but Nick Nurse deserves a lot of credit for that, being able to push the right buttons. And it's not always just, you know, it's not always rubbing guys on the back and telling them everything's going to be fine. I mean, he's had his battles with Terrence Davis this season. It feels like every single time the guy comes out the other side of that battle, you know, better for it. Yeah, honestly, I feel like this all-star coaching uh, scenario is interesting too. I would love to see the Raptors get into that second seed. We know Budenholzer can't be coaching the all-star team uh, two years in a row. So I just think it would be great validation for Nick Nurse to to kind of, you know, helm a squad of all-stars as the reigning NBA champion coach and just have like a plethora of all-stars at his disposal and just kind of, you know, have a bench where he's coaching the league's best and just see, and you know, just to kind of, give Nick nurse some props because I feel like there is just so much, so many questions around his, his hiring, you know, like the optics weren't the greatest, how it's like, Oh, well we bowed out to the Cavs, and now you're hiring somebody from Dwayne Casey's same staff. Like you don't know. And obviously he's been pushing the right buttons. you made up, you made a good point guns about uh, just Terrence Davis and him just, 
you know, that tough love uh, with him and other young players. And uh, I think the Raptors are, are gunning for this number two spot, not only just for seeding purposes, obviously, but because they want to get it done for their coach. Well, and of course, like the, the championship in and of itself, that validates him. Like he is absolutely 100%. validated right now. Yes. But it's nice to see. And it's just another kind of little wrinkle of this. The fact that he is the Canadian national team coach for at least the next year. You see him having all his little meetings with Shea Gilgis Alexander when he comes to town or Jamal Murray or whatever it may be. And it just feels like that, you know, he's already getting the the love kind of from all the Canadian NBA players in, in that regard. And then you're right. Just getting that chance to go to the all-star game and kind of be that guy and get to lead the team of the, you know, a true all-star pack getting to build those relationships with a guy like Giannis or LeBron or whoever's team he may end up on uh, you know I think that's that's kind of what would be great about that well the other thing that stands out for me this year for for Nick Nurse and you know it's been uh, sort of a blessing in disguise for him that uh, he's had to deal with numerous injuries because it's really been able to show how good of a coach he is when he was without Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell and this Raptors team was still winning games. And last year, I think a lot of people looked at that championship and obviously saw what he did in the final, the box plus one, the janky defense and all of that stuff. And, and he got a lot of credit for it and a lot of props for it. But I still think a lot of people said, yeah, but he had Kawhi Leonard. Like that makes a lot of coaches look good. And then this year without Kawhi Leonard to see what the Raptors are doing, I think that has opened a lot of people's eyes as well and being like, Okay, like this guy's actually pretty good. He doesn't need uh, a number one option, a superstar player, in order to still be a really good coach. Like Pascal Siakam, as we mentioned, has stepped into that role beautifully, and they still have Kyle Lowry and, and a lot of veteran players and a lot of you know good, smart players. Uh, but I think Nick Nurse has really shown how good of a coach he is this year. And it's Toronto bias, of course, but if we're looking at right now, you know, who are the best coaches in the league? I don't know how he's not in the top three, uh, just based off of what he did last year, based off of what he's done this year. And I, I think, you know, not that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but it's kind of crazy that arguably a top three coach, he was, as you mentioned, Boff, sitting on uh, Dwayne Casey's uh, bench for many, many years. And it was like, wow, we had this guy the whole time. And I guess, you know, we never would have known that. But uh, it's crazy to think that uh, maybe if Nick Nurse had that opportunity a little bit earlier, uh, maybe then the, the Raptors, you know, maybe they don't win the title. Maybe they don't, you know, do the Kawhi Leonard, the butterfly effect and all of that stuff. Uh, but maybe Nick Nurse would have gotten his due a little bit earlier. Well, I mean, you you talk about you, you talk about the fitting in Kawhi Leonard and everyone said, yeah, well, you had Kawhi Leonard. How hard was it to win a title? Well, uh, go ask Doc Rivers because his team is imploding right now and sniping at each other and saying they're upset that Kawhi takes nights off and Paul George isn't there. Nick Nurse had to deal with all of that as well. This was also a successful team that had a complete roster overhaul despite a successful year the year before. It's kind of a very similar situation to what the Clippers you know, kind of went through. They also pushed bodies out to make room for the, like it's it's a very parallel situation. And Doc Rivers, who we all consider, you know, not even one of the great coaches, but one of the great leaders of men in the game. You know, we think back to the work he did with that that KG trio in Boston. That was what he did. It wasn't an X and O's thing. It was getting all those guys to buy in together. And the fact that Nick Nurse was able to do that with only one year to do it. It wasn't like he had some long runway to create this and Doc Rivers can't, I think that should highlight things just as much as all the other things we just mentioned. Yeah, like, I, rem I you know what, it escapes me who this, who this tweet was from, but it was after Leonard signed with the Clippers, and everybody was saying, like, yes, like, we should be thanking Kawhi Leonard, Raptors fans, and the Raptors organization for helping us bring a title to Toronto, but then it said, like, helping with, you know, understanding the load management, you know, uh, having teammates that, you know, are, are receptive to you having 
time off for the bigger goal. And it just had a bunch of other little points that the rap, what the Raptors did for Kawhi. And it was like, Kawhi should be thanking the Raptors just as much. Like, and it just kind of just showed you what a, a perfect marriage it kind of was because obviously you have the superstar in Kawhi and you've, you're seeing now a year removed from Kawhi with the remaining guys on the team, just, what a strong supporting cast it was and how this team is battle tested. Like even just, you know, you're playing the Knicks on a Friday night yesterday, a game you should win, but they didn't get off to a good start that game. They had 20 points in the first quarter and they finished the game with 118. You probably wouldn't have thought that watching how stagnant they were in the first, but Siakam said, even after the game, just we're battle tested. We know what we can do now and what guys have to do individually when things aren't going our way to get us back into the game. So, uh, I mean, and if they make an addition, guys, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know who you bring in now, but uh, in terms of who would be available, but there's that scuttlebutt out there that Masai is kind of, you know, has his ear to the streets trying to see if if there is a piece that can be brought in. All right, that's a perfect segue, because when we come back, we will uh, talk about the uh, trade deadline February 6th in the NBA and who potentially could be expendable on this Raptors team and what could they potentially be looking for ahead of the trade deadline. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Brent Gunning on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. If you are what you say you are, a Trying to cash his microphone, check 212. Want to believe my own hype, but it's too untrue. The world brought me to my Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Brent Gunning with you. Raptors winners last night against the New York Knicks. As Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry have another strong performance for the Raptors, who currently sit third in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat did lose last night, but they have the tiebreaker on the Raptors right now for. Second in the East, and uh, as we talked about last segment, if the Raptors can find their way into that second spot in the East before, uh, I guess it's within like the next week or something. Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Then uh, Nick Nurse and his coaching staff will be coaching the Eastern Conference All-Stars because the Milwaukee Bucks, Mike Budenholzer and his staff, they did it last year. You can't do it two years in a row. So that would be a, a cool moment for Nick Nurse coming off an NBA championship to be coaching an NBA uh, All-Star game and getting to coach Pascal Siakam, of course, maybe uh, talk a little bit in Giannis's ear. Be like, hey, Toronto's really nice this time of year. I don't know if you noticed, but we're also pretty good. We got Pascal Siakam. He's an All-Star. No statue of the Fonz, but there's a uh, there's a CN Tower. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad either. So uh, that would be pretty cool, but still a ways to go here. Another week. Uh, Raptors, meanwhile, are uh, back at it tomorrow as they'll visit the San Antonio Spurs Taking on DeMar DeRozan, looking to get uh, revenge as the Spurs, of course, won in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. But the NBA trade deadline is coming up February the 6th. And it's funny to think back at the beginning of the year and, you know, nobody was really pushing it, but it was a hypothetical that was put out there. If things go sideways for the Raptors this year, are you moving Kyle Lowry? Are you moving Serge Ibaka? Are you moving Marcus Gasol, Norm Powell? What are you willing to give up? Is Bradley Beal or someone like that going to be available? Make you, maybe you make a push there. Um, but you look at this Raptors team right now, as we touched on, third in the East. They are fully healthy right now. They're looking pretty good. 
Kyle Lowry, of course, signed to that one-year extension. Uh, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka still uh, have uh, expiring contracts at the end of the year. Norm Powell has become a legit player, and you're wondering now, is he the most attractive asset that you have to uh, offer up? So I think if you're the Raptors, at the very worst, you're just playing this out. I'm not moving out. Marcus Saul, I'm not moving out Serge Ibaka. I'm not moving out Kyle Lowry. You're listening, of course, but unless there's something that's going to make you exponentially better to take on salary, I think, you know, would be tough at this stage because you're still trying to be, um, you know, in a spot where you have some good cap numbers in a couple of years if and when Giannis does become a free agent. You'd have to think that would be the Raptors' number one target. But you mentioned before, Mark, you're not really sure what kind of names uh, are out there. We know Tristan Thompson is someone that has been linked to the Raptors. Andre Drummond for like a hot minute was linked to the uh, Toronto Raptors. I think at the very least, they would probably like to get another big, um, you know, to get someone of that caliber. You're going to have to really shuffle some bodies out uh, to make a move like that. But I think if you're Bobby Webster, if you're Messiah Jerry, you're probably just playing this out at the very least. And then if you're adding to it, it's going to be a depth big. It's probably going to be a depth point guard. Nothing too crazy. Maybe you let it play out to the buyout market. But I would be absolutely stunned if the Raptors make a Marcus Gasol trade again or if they make a Serge Ibaka trade from a couple of years ago. You never know. We still have, you know, 10 days or so until the NBA trade deadline. But that, that's kind of how I view it at this stage with the information that we seemingly have. Well, like, I'm with you. Like Drummond was the name that kind of stuck out to me as one of the guys that's been in the rumor mill. And for me, I'm kind of I'm I'm with you, Rob. Where it's like they kind of made that deal last year with Gasol, where you had to move out a core piece in Valanciunas. And you know, even last night's game, they're playing the Knicks. And okay, maybe this isn't going to happen in the playoffs because it's the Knicks. But like Serge Ibaka came in in that second unit and was just dominating in in the second quarter, like the benches that just aren't as good, that don't have people as good as him. Like he was the alpha on Orlando. He was the main scorer there. And he's kind of the head of that bench unit when they're spelling Gasol and getting minutes and in resting him and he in surges gain his minutes. So like, to me, it's like, I feel like that's a good sort of unit that you have going right now. Like with somebody like an Andre Drummond, when you factor in the pieces that you have to give up to get somebody like that, like, does that make you that much better when you factor in chemistry and the fact that, you know, this whole team went on a deep run last year? Like, I feel like unless it's just a clear cut trade that clearly makes the Raptors better, I feel like you have to stand pat and just kind of see what you have. And, and Hey, they, they've, they've shocked everybody with their performance to this point up into the season. So I just think it, I just I'm usually I'm I'm a swing for the fences type of guy, but I really think that this is a a cohesive unit, and with everybody help, we haven't seen the team healthy all season long until very recently. So why don't we see what kind of run they can get? Drummond would help, Thompson would help, of course. Like if you can get either one of those guys as a buyout, of course you'd love to do that, but it's probably not going to happen because even if they end up there, I doubt that the Raptors is kind of maybe maybe you have a chance with Thompson, but I really don't see that that happening. If there's a move for this Raptors team to make, and I don't think it's the right one to make because I think the way this team is showing things right now, you you want to give them another crack. Not to say that they're going to defend the title, but you want to give them another 
chance to really make a run at that. But if there was one move I'd make, it's actually selling high on Norm Powell right now. You know, this is a guy who's been inconsistent his entire entire go around with with the team. And part of that's been the team itself. They've been janking him around. You're a starter. You're coming off the bench. You're not getting consistent minutes. We just need you to play defense. No, now we need you to score. And to his credit, eventually he's kind of found his way to do all of those different things. So I, I want to be clear. I think if you're making a run, he's somebody who can absolutely help you. But if there's the best move for kind of the future of this team to make, maybe it is selling high on a guy like Powell now. I don't think that's going to happen because, again, they're sitting third in the East and they have every chance at every chance possible to be the two seed. Nobody's catching the Bucks, but it, so you're not going to do that move. But I, but if there was one I'd advocate to make, that would be it. Sell high on Powell. Well, he's found some semblance of consistency, but I don't think it'll happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen either uh, with Norm Powell. I mean, I think the issue with this Raptors team right now is just so cohesive. The chemistry's good. Uh, we saw last year bringing on Marcus Gasol. Took him a couple months to really figure out, you know, how to fit in this team. There was a lot of different dynamics at play. So, you know, this Raptors team, in my mind, is still good enough to appear in an Eastern Conference final. I don't think anybody's picking them to win and repeat as NBA champions. It's just such a, a high, you know, tall task to ask. And I don't think this team has, you know, that capability to do it. Um, but I think I'd be happy if this Raptors team made it to the Eastern Conference with this squad. I think you would take it. I'm not even sure if there's a move out there you know, outside of a Bradley Beal or something like that, where, you know, you, you, you would say, man, okay, now you can see this team potentially taking down Milwaukee. I know there's a lot of people in this city and a lot of people elsewhere that are still looking at the box and wondering, okay, it's great that they're off to this incredible start once again, but can they do it in the playoffs? Like, I think the Bucs are easily the best team in the East. I think, you know, they should cruise um, to uh, an NBA finals appearance this year, just because Giannis has been on a completely uh, different level. But I think, you know, for the Raptors, you have to look at the big picture. You want to be able to have, you know, a good cap situation moving forward. You don't want to take on too much salary. I think, you know, you're looking at a depth bay. You're looking at a depth guard. You're looking at that buyout market. Uh, but the Norm Powell thing is is intriguing, at least, you know, if you think, well, he's not going to get any better than this. I guess it in, depends on your internal evaluations. And you say, if he's not going to get any better than this or, you know, his value is not going to be any higher, then maybe we do move him when his, when he's at his peak value and, and try to get something, you know, back for him. That can still help us this year. You're not trading Norm Powell to free up cap space or to get, you know, future picks. You're looking to bring on maybe a younger guy with some promise, uh, maybe a veteran guy that you think can help you this year. Uh, but that's the thing with this Raptors team. There's a bit of a log jam, you know, with the emergence of a guy like Terrence Davis who, you know, could potentially step into a Norm Powell role uh, down the line. Well, you, so let me, let me ask yeah. you this. I was just playing around on uh, the handy-dandy trade machine here, and I, I don't know that this necessarily solves the Raptors' problems, but you just mentioned the idea of opening up a little more space for Terrence Davis. Would the idea of a Norm Powell-Marcus Morris uh, trade with the Knicks uh, entice you at all? That's somebody who can kind of play the three. He can play the four if need be. He's got a mean you, streak. Give you a little rebounding, yeah. a little toughness. Uh, again, I don't know that... I want to be clear. I'm not trying to run Powell out of town. It's just the idea of kind of taking advantage of someone's value while it's at its peak. I don't know if maybe you could... I, I doubt the Knicks would be wanting to part with any more first after uh, the last trade with the Raptors went so terribly for them there. But I just wonder if that's something where you can kind of help not not necessarily, you know, really improve your team, but just kind of balance it out a little better and then maybe pick up a secondary asset in the mix. I, I wonder if that's something that might make sense. Well, like if it's not him specifically, I kind of like that sort of target range because he's not a superstar and he's not just, you know, somebody that you're going to 
pick up in the buyout market. And he's done. His deal's up after this year, so it doesn't affect uh, 2021. There you go. So, like, I think that's exactly what you're trying to accomplish. And he, he, he got that sandpaper. He can hit the open shot. He'll hit you. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So, yeah, I like, uh, I think, yeah, I think you got to be looking in the rental market. I'm with you there, Brent. Just you don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize the potential of that, uh, that upcoming summer. I think the worry that you have with a guy like Norm Powell is, you know, we've seen it in flashes and we've seen it in spurts and, and now you're seeing it in a, in a pretty big spurt. And for him to be doing what he's doing since coming back from injury is really impressive, of course. Um, but I guess you wonder, like I said before, can you, can he keep this up? Because the worst thing, not the worst thing that could happen, but, you know, if this is the peak and then next year he, you know, falls back to where he was last year and you say, oh, did we miss the boat potentially on moving a guy out that maybe we could have gotten something back for? Uh, maybe the Raptors still like him regardless, even if he reverts back to the the old norm last year and, the, and they're willing to live with that. Uh, but it's very evident this year, at least, he's taken his game to another level. So it'll be interesting to see where the Raptors decide to go before the February 6th uh, trade deadline. There are some intriguing options out there. Will the Raptors be in you know the uh, deep end of the swimming pool uh, looking at some of the big guys probably not but maybe there's some uh, depth additions that they could make before february 6th when we come back we'll continue talking some nba zion williamson finally making his nba debut and looking pretty good so far it's just uh, two games but he's healthy he's uh, not hurt he's not limping around that's a good sign uh, and he's destroying teams so far which is what we expected when he was healthy we'll talk about him next it is the sportsnet hot stove rob wong mark boffo brent gunning on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Missed an episode of Lead Off? Listen to every episode and subscribe with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet The Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Brent Gunning with you. Did you guys catch the uh, Nate Burleson interview or hour, I guess, yesterday on I Tim and Sid? I did see a bit of that. That was a uh, He's an incredible guest, first of all. Uh, but it was um, hilarious to uh, listen to him talk about Jennifer Lopez because he got to interview her like earlier this year for Extra or last year asking her about the Super Bowl and halftime show. And then afterwards he said she smelled like unicorn milk, which uh, I <laughs> don't know. I don't know what that means, but... I feel like it's a perfect I found description, it hilarious. Like, yeah. You'll never know. Don't even attempt to figure it out. Nate Burleson, really a modern-day Da Vinci. What what can't he do? It's true. Extra, a little Tim and Sid, a little Good Morning Football. Yeah. He <laughs> played in the NFL. Like, people talk about Tony Romo being, like, the best former player analyst. Yeah, mixing the no. dancing with Nate this. Burleson, well, hold, hold Can on, you do what Nate Burleson does? Tony, Tony Romo has competed in PGA Tour events. That is That's true. That's the difference, though. Nate Burleson has a great uh, freestyle game too. Good, good rapper that he uh, he always shows off his talents on uh, GMFB. Great guest for sure. Yeah, and Canadian, of course. Got to give a shout out to uh, the motherland for uh, Nate Burleson. I forget here. that just about every time until I hear it. Like yeah. I'm gonna forget that in five seconds. And I'm gonna be wowed when I hear that he's Canadian. His dad played in the I, CFL. I, know, I, always, so I always forget. That's, that's the connection there. But uh, great guest. If you missed the interview, it was on for an hour. They did a lot of things yesterday on Tim and Sid. But uh, you got to check out the Nate Burleson hour on uh, Tim. 
and Sid. So uh, Zion Williamson, guys, finally making his much-anticipated NBA debut the other night against the uh, San Antonio Spurs. And it took a while for old Zion to get going. The uh, first four minutes or so was really feeling himself out. Uh, obviously, you know, coming back from a major injury, did not want to push himself too hard. We knew he was only going to play around 20 minutes at uh, maximum because the uh, Pelicans wanted to make sure his load was managed, of course. Get and, out of here with that. Uh, <laughs> get on it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. You're doing a great job teeing up the topic. That made me so, so mad. He is a, what is he, 20 years old? I know he's had some, I know he's had a knee injury. He can run around for another five minutes left in the game they're trying to win. That that made me so mad. I I understand where a lot of people are coming from, that he was looking so good. He had 17 points in three minutes. He and you're wanted like, to play. He wanted to play, and you're like, how can you take this guy out? But they stuck to their guns. They said before the game, you're not playing more than 20 minutes. And Alvin Gentry was like, he's not playing more than 20 minutes. And they made sure that did not happen. So I can appreciate they stuck to their guns. He played just over 20 minutes last night, just under 21 minutes. So he's already getting the, the boost Anyways, he's getting a little bit so more So it sounds like he probably time. could have played 21 so, minutes in the first game. So he'll probably be playing 36 minutes by uh, 2022 uh, at this rate with the uh, tiny increments that the Pelicans well, are giving Well, no, him. no, not until he gets the free agency. you got to get the second contract, and of then course. you can start playing 36 minutes. In but it. I think what we've seen, guys, in the uh, 38 minutes of basketball so far is as advertised with Zion Williamson. I was just looking at the numbers right now. In 19 and a half minutes per game in those two games, he's averaging 18 points. He's averaging six rebounds, one assist. Half a steal, half a block. Now he hit four threes in the first game. Um, and I think last night he did he take a three last night? Uh, taking a look at the box score, he did uh, take one and he missed it. So he's not going to be an incredible three point shooter, but he's shooting 80% from behind the field because he's four for five. He's uh, not shooting great at the free throw line, just 37%, but 75% from the field. And his PER, if you're into that, He's at 31.8. He's putting up like Boban Marjanovic numbers in like twice the amount of court time that Boban gets. So like I said, nobody was not expecting this from Zion when he was the first overall pick. I just think it's impressive like how fast he's, you know, picked it up considering he missed a, a lot of time. He's just going out there and, and doing the stuff that we saw him do in college. Like this is who he is. Like I, people have doubted him. I'm uh, saying like, oh, like this guy's just going to break down his body maybe over time. But like, I think when he's on the court, when he's healthy, this is what we're going to see night in and night out from uh, old Zion. Well, it, you know what? It's it was great to see him hitting from distance. I didn't didn't really expect that. Like you said, it's not going to be the norm. But hey, I think I think it's just as simple as I got back from this injury and I'm feeling stuff out in the first half, and then in the second half, he just kind of felt more comfortable. Like this is the sport I've been playing my entire life, and it's just on a bigger stage. And uh, I mean. Listen, like averaging six rebounds in the first two games, maybe we can say uh, bust. No, I'm just kidding. But like, <laughs> I just think he he's looking as advertised. Like, you have to just take the hype into consideration as well. Like, it's one thing to make your debut in the NBA. It's another thing to make your debut in the NBA coming off of a significant knee injury. And it's another thing to make your debut in the NBA coming off of that injury as the most hyped prospect since LeBron James. So you always have to take that into account, all the pressure, all all the accolades that come with it. And yeah, Rob, like in the first couple of minutes, or sorry, in the first couple of games here, I feel like, yeah, it hasn't been, you've seen the spurts of of how incredible he can be. And But I think it's important to kind of 
you know, temper expectations in the early going as well, just because of, you know, just of all those factors I mentioned. That that first game was was really interesting to watch because one, he was only getting limited run. They were playing him in four minute chunks, which, hey, look, you want to bring a guy back slowly from injury. I actually have like very little problem with that. The idea of running him out for four minutes in the first, four minutes in the second, another four in the third. But then when it gets to the fourth quarter part of the game and you, this is a team that theoretically is trying to make the playoffs. They're right there in a race. You know, I don't think he would have been hurt by playing an extra four minutes down the stretch. But, you know, forget about my uh, old man yelling at the cloud take on that for a minute. How he played in that first game, they were packing it in on him. Everyone in the world knows how Zion wanted to get his first NBA points. It's the same way we wanted him to get them. A massive cram, and there was no way the Spurs were going to allow that to happen. They just completely packed in the paint, and the thing that jumped out to me was his passing ability. You know, we think of him as this explosive athlete, explosive dunker, explosive rebounder, but he really showed a deaf passing touch and vision. And if that's going to be there with all of the other stuff, that's that's what's going to make him be a special player. And then the four threes he had, that was just a product of they were not going to let him drive and dunk. So he had open looks and he made them. And I can only imagine what that would do for confidence. Very nice. He, he finally did get the dunk. He got that in his second game. I'm excited to see what, what we're going to see for the rest of the year from Zion. I just like to, again, I understand the idea of, of uh, workload management and really trying to, you know, get the maximize your asset. But at a certain point in time, if the game is tight with a couple of minutes left, I think you can afford to leave him out there to, to try to steal a win. I think what's going to be interesting, you know, moving forward here, once we get a larger sample size of, you know, what type of player he is uh, at the NBA level. He's not a finished product, of course. It's just his, you know, first season. But is he going to be a guy that's just stuffing the stat sheet and maybe he's not a very good defensive player, hasn't been so far when you look at some of the numbers. Uh, now the Pelicans aren't a very good defensive team to begin with, so, you know, that could play a role. But is he just a guy that's going to go out there and be just an, obs- an absolute offensive juggernaut and not be able to really, you know, stop the uh, the team on the other side of the court and, and be a liability there? Um, and in the end, that's sort of a, you know, neutral, right? You're not getting anything great. You're not getting anything bad. Just kind of he gives it to you on one end and doesn't give it to you on the other end. Uh, I think that's going to be what's intriguing for me the rest of the way is, you know, can he be uh, a complete player? Can he show flashes of that? Because if he's just out there stuffing the stat sheets, um, it's going to be great to watch. It's going to be great from a fantasy perspective. But over time, you know, that that reputation is going to build that, you know, you're just Kevin Love, right? You're on the Minnesota Timberwolves, your team stinks, but you're putting up 25 and 12. That's great. But like, can you actually win ball games? Can you actually have an impact and, and be someone that can be a complete player? I think I don't think that's going to happen this year necessarily, but I know I'm going to be intrigued to see, um, you know, where the evolution of that, uh, you know, goes with Zion the rest of the way. Well, well Matt, I was just going to say, like, I just think he has a like the Pelicans is a good team for him to develop those skills on. I mean, you've got Ingram and Ball and all those players that came over from the Lakers, like with Drew Holiday there, it's not like they had nothing and you're just kind of the, you know, the, you're, you're finishing 10 and 72, you know what I mean? So I think that there's a good mix there of like a good balance and blend of we're young and we're up and coming, but we're not bottom of the barrel and we're, we can grow together. So I think you're right, Rob, like you don't want to just be the guy that's stuffing the stats and not, and the, it's not translating into wins, but I think, I think it's a good situation for him.
I, I completely agree with that. The thing that's interesting about the idea of him being a more of a defensive player or a complete player and will he be doing it just stuff in the stat sheet is you're going to have to really use the eye test for that because he's going to, I would imagine, have massive block numbers. The way he can get up, the way he can challenge shots, he's going to have three, four, maybe five block nights on occasion. So the stats are really going to be there even from that perspective. It's just a matter of can you learn to, you know, like, the kind of exact opposite guy. This is Kyle Lowry. Can you just always make the right play? Obviously very different for a point guard to do that as opposed to a big, but that'll kind of be the question for him. Yeah. He sent one to Jupiter last night. I forget who it was, but some poor go- uh, poor soul got blocked into like the eighth throw last night, but we're going to be seeing a lot of that uh, this year with Zion Williamson. We're going to be seeing some, you know, big mm-hmm. stat lines as well. Once his uh, minutes played, you know, start to trend up a little bit, played just over uh, 18 in game number one, just over 20 in uh, last night. So uh, it looks like he is moving up slowly when it comes to uh, time on the court. But it's been an impressive debut so far for the number one overall pick in last year's NBA draft. When we come back, final hour of the program, we'll kick things off. Talking about the NHL All-Star Weekend, the games go tonight. But last night we saw the uh, skills competition we got to see the uh, three-on-three women's game as well which was uh, pretty entertaining we'll uh, get into all of that coming up next it is the sportsnet hot stove rob wong mark boffo brent gunning here on the sportsnet radio network send us all your money sign up for our free podcast at itunes or with your favorite podcatcher and we'll send you a free subscription for sportsnet 590 the fan on demand absolutely free Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Brent Gunning with you. The NHL All-Star Game will uh, go tonight at 8 o'clock. You can watch it on Sportsnet down in St. Louis. We just got the TV up from uh, last night showing the uh, skills competition replay. The Nelly intro. Was Nelly at the All-Star Game last night? I did did not see him. That's disappointing. Should have been there. If it wasn't him, hopefully some of the other the Saint, uh, Lunatics. Saint Lunatics were in attendance. Murphy Lee. That's the only one I can remember. Ali G. Ali- <laughs> I think that's something different. I think you're right. But uh, be, I would be fired up if Ali G was there also. That would have been great. That would have been great. So the uh, skills competition went down last night. Definitely some pro- some uh, surprises. Matt Barzal winning the uh, fastest skater. Now that being said, it was great to, to see him do it. But you got Connor McDavid. The guy's coming back from major knee rehab. He's missing a PCL. Like, come on. Give the guy a break. And all this does is set up the redemption arc one year from now when Connor McDavid <laughs> I've rightfully never steals lost back a his fastest title. skating competition. I've been training 365 days to be Matt Barzell in uh, 2021. Like, uh, you're worried about big playoff run this year. It's like, <laughs> oh no, have you seen the rest of my team? Have you seen the goalie? That's not happening. The only thing I can control, fastest skater. Yeah, pretty cool though to see uh, Matt Barzell top Connor McDavid in the uh, fastest skater. Jordan Bennington won the uh, NHL save streak. Freddie Anderson was uh, in the mix for a while there. And then Andre Vasilevsky put up uh, nine saves in a row. And Jordan Bennington then put up uh, 10. Got bailed out at the end, though. Leon Dreisaitl hitting a post on a wide open net. So, hey, it's okay. Hometown guy. Give him a chance to win. And that's what happened there. You know what, though? Uh, the Connor McDavid documentary aired right after the skills comp last night. And I was like, 
You know what? I'm giving I'm giving Connor McDavid a pass on on losing the fastest skater this year after watching the documentary. That was that it was an intense rehab. The uh, accuracy shooting contest went to Jacob Slavin of uh, all people did it in 9.5 seconds. Now this one, this is where I want to start with the conversation about the skills comp because they uh, went with the LED screen last night as this opposed to the so mad. old school foam targets. Now I get it from a, you know, environmental standpoint. You don't want to waste all that foam. That's garbage, right? Like you want to help out the planet, put up an LED screen. They could do like a hemp-based foam. Right, I feel maybe like. that's possible too, hemp-based foam. But look, ODJ could probably outsource that for. If you've ever ordered fast food or something off a touchscreen, mm-hmm. you know how difficult it is with your own hands to like actually punch in what you want. What do you think it's going to be like shooting a puck and being like, oh yeah, it hit that pixel, so then you hit the target. Like that's what was great about the old school version with the foam. That even if you nicked it, you could tell that the puck hit it. There was moments last night where you could tell players were like just nicking the target, and they were like. Okay, it's it went. It's not going off. And I think Jonathan Huberdeau even missed a target. He hit the post dead in the middle of the post, yeah. not anywhere high, not anywhere low, and somehow got credit for that. And the thing went off and it said, like, you got it. And it was Jonathan was like, All right, I guess. And then he skated off. So I, I like the, you know, innovation. It's twenty twenty. It's nice that we're using, you know, electronics to try to, you know, figure this stuff out. But I think that, you know, Pardon the pun, missed the mark a little bit just with the LED screen. Like it was sort of, you know, not great. I don't know what you guys thought, but I'm a traditionalist. I like to see the explosion of the targets, just the foam or, you know, if it's not going to be foam, whatever crazy material they can come up with. But even uh, Mark Shifley was saying that after the skills last night, too. He was just like, yeah, you know what? Like I think we were just kind of, ex- I'm paraphrasing, but we were kind of just expecting to kind of hear that pop of like the foam going everywhere and, we were, I think, like he said, the players just were a little thrown off by the LED screens, too. Well, what's wrong with the old shooter tutor? Why can't you get the old shooter tutor out there and just strap that plastic around the net? You got your four holes in the corners and just go like that. Why do you need the LED screens? You're I, putting up weird references to the players. Yeah, that it's like, oh, we have new emoji names <laughs> or whatever. Look, guys, we don't, it's not putting that up hard. like an ex girlfriend's name or something. Well, like okay, on one so of the targets. you like, know what? You awkward. mentioned it. Here's the thing they just put their own names there. If it was like, like, how great would it be? I know he didn't do this competition, but if Leon Dreisaitl is doing it and the, he did do the, the competition, well, oh, that's right. He did. Yeah. All of the targets should have been Matthew Kachuk's face. Like what? <laughs> like, how are we missing the boat here? It's like, there is, we talk about how much fun it is when there's hatred in the game. And I know this is a thing for the sponsors and it's supposed to be fun and everything. A little, a little bit of friendly hate. I know that seems like an oxymoron, but a little bit of sports hate, a little sandpaper that would have made it so much more fun. Just imagine that you just see Dreisaitl out there and it's just five Kachuk heads getting blown to smithereens if they have them <laughs> on the actual foam target. Like they could have, I, I again, like try new ideas. Sure. It's great. But there's just, it, there, the bones of this event are the fastest skater, the hardest shot and the accuracy shooting. Don't screw with those. You want to have your fun and we will get to that crazy one uh, in a little bit. You want to have your fun with different events. I like it. Try something new. Sure. Absolutely. But the absolute bones of the event, we shouldn't mess with it. It's funny. I'm looking at the results on sportsnet.ca and uh, for the accuracy shooting contest for people that didn't see it last night, it was in St. Louis, of course, of course, and they brought out some, you know, old blues alumni like Al McKinnis came out to the hardest shot before that competition. That was awesome. Uh, Bernie Federico came out and uh, did part of the accuracy shooting contest. I thought he was actually going to shoot 
but he just passed the puck to Alex Petrangelo, who then shot a couple of practice rounds. So I'm just looking at the results here, and it says uh, Alex Petrangelo, St. Louis Blues, and then in brackets, featuring Bernie Federko. <laughs> 13.763 seconds. Like he's like the, the guitar player for the Alex Petrangelo experience or something yeah. like that. Yeah, well, because did you guys see it in the KHL All-Star game? Uh, one of the coaches like took a, took a penalty shot. Like I guess I, I, I'm not familiar with the player, but I guess he's like a Russian sure. legend. And in the middle of the game, somebody got taken down or something. They did a penalty shot and the coach came out in skates and took the, the penalty shot and I thought that's what was going to happen last night with Bernie Federko like he was going to get out there and, and hit the LED targets and maybe he was going to struggle but it would have been cool at least to see an old school guy like try to take down some of these targets yeah so. I guess it's just trying to like save him from some potential embarrassment there but I mean it's it's one of those things where we're all watching it and we're going, ah, oh, he's not going to shoot. If you're in St. Louis, you're just fired up to see your guy out there. That's part of the the kind of dance you have to do with these things, right? You want to make it a great, great local event. Like, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, Brett Hall, he's a little more of the, t of you know, time. People be people would remember him a little more. That one, you can get a little more casuals involved or whatever. But, you know, bringing Bernie Federko out, that's just for the fans there. So if they're content seeing, uh, you know, one great pass it to their current captain, I guess that's fine. I mean, if Matt Sundin did this in Toronto, we'd all want to see him shoot. But, yeah, it'd be kind of cool just to see him pass it back and forth with Austin Matthews for a second. So I get it, but frustrating. And then after that, they uh, took a break to open things up for the uh, women as Canada beat the U.S. in the elite women's three-on-three uh, game and, and I felt bad because you know each team only had about you know 10 skaters or so and they were gassed you know very early on in this one because they had to go full length of the ice it's three on three uh, there's not enough players to you know really uh, give anybody a break but I thought the first you know five minutes or so was extremely exciting there were exciting moments as well but I think it was great for the NHL to showcase uh, these women some of the top players in the game and showcase their abilities uh, Canada coming out on top like I mentioned and I know social media was definitely buzzing the people in the arena you could tell on TV were definitely buzzing about this so I think that went about as good as it possibly could for the the women's game and uh, the NHL being able to showcase them um, they've been a part of the skills competition the all-star weekend now for the last couple of years we remember back to last year Kendall Coyne Schofield putting up a massive number in the uh, you know fastest skater competition before the the real thing got started. They allowed this year, of course, uh, Hillary Knight and Marie Philippoulin to take part in the uh, the shootout at the end. Um, so that that was a really cool moment, and it was nice to see the NHL uh, highlight the women's game because we here in Canada have been following it for a long time, of course, on a national level and, and to a certain extent uh, with the the pro leagues that were uh, out there. And I think it's very evident that uh, it's only a matter of time until uh, the women get another professional league. Maybe the NHL has their hand in it, but uh, it's uh, going to happen eventually, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much the game grows. Because I think last night was a, a big step forward, you know, putting them out there and, and being able to showcase their talents. Yeah, I think it. I think this event needs to be a mainstay uh, in in the upcoming All Star weekends, and it's just such a good, um, like, a, a good switch up because all of the all of the events are just so lighthearted. Like we mentioned, you're bringing out special guests and, you know, hitting the targets and everybody's having a good laugh or whatever. This is a rivalry that actually means something. And yeah. you can feel like a regular season game. Exactly. And it was just, it was cool to kind of just see like that while it's like immense respect and they're saluting the crowd at the end and they have a lot of respect amongst the teams, but there's genuine, like we want to win this game whenever they face off against each other. So I think, uh, like you said, Rob, it was just a great showcase for the women's game. Hopefully they can get uh, a, a new league up, up started here. And, but yeah, just for the, for the pure entertainment value of just having that, 
you know, not fluff, but just like a more lighthearted event to a more like hardcore actual hockey game. I think it uh, worked out really well. Yeah, I think it's great that the league did it. I think it's good to, you know, to put these women up front and center. They, you know, and it, again, not that it's some token. These are all, you know, people we've watched in the Olympics plenty of different times or world championships or whatever it may be. The one thing I would say about it is if you wanted it to be a showcase for the game, just because it's happening on All-Star Weekend, it does feel almost a little bit out of place. I mean, Brian Burke has joked about three-on-three in the NHL that they need a shot clock because the coaches have already ruined it. And I think that's kind of what you saw happening last night. This isn't normal three-on-three where it's take your chances up and down. No, these both teams really, really wanted to win this game, and it's not what you're going to see tonight where the scores are going to be 27-20 yeah, in a five-minute five game. And they were getting back last night. So I think on one hand, that is great to see that you're getting that you're getting to see that actual competition taking place, but in an all-star event where you're expecting these high-scoring games, a 2-1 final is probably not what most people are expecting. Not that they didn't like what they would have seen, but I think it'd be interesting to see, and you know, maybe it's just as simple as have a full bench. I know that seems silly for for three-on-three, but if you have a full bench of 18 skaters as opposed to just the 10, and and not to say they were lollygagging or anything like that, but maybe you know you can just push the pace a little more, and then that allows you to have kind of that more wide-open play that you think of when you think of three-on-three. Yeah. A, a tremendous, tremendous game, a great showcase, but it just, I think most people probably expected some 11-10 final score, not a 2-1 grind out. Great game nonetheless, but just not what people were expecting. Yeah, a little too much defense. But as Mark mentioned, I mean, these these two uh, teams, um, you know, with Canada and the U.S., they have a long uh, history, of course, the rivalry. They want to win the game. They don't want to lose on this big stage in the NHL uh, All-Star Weekend. But maybe that is the tweak that you make. Just add some more players so that uh, people aren't as gassed when they're getting out there for their, you know, second and third shift, and then they're hemmed in their own zone uh, on this three-on-three competition. But it was nice to see uh, the NHL continually making tweaks of course showcasing the women we'll see what they uh, do next year so then after that the uh, nhl all-stars came back out they did the hardest shot and uh, like i mentioned before they brought out uh, some alumni in uh, the skills competition throughout the night it was al mckinnis that came out uh was he using a wooden stick do we have proof he was, yes. he was? okay so uh i think the number that they showed on the board was like the number that he put up in years past. I don't actually think that was the real number that, that he put up on the board. That was his best ever number. So was I'm okay. willing to bet that at uh, 50 something, I think, uh, <laughs> with a wood stick now, probably not hitting yeah. a 100.4. No, it looked really fast. It looked really fast, whatever it was. It was definitely a hard shot. Um, but like he can, put up, can confirm Al McKennis can still rip. He it. can yeah. still rip it. It may not have been 100 100.4 legitimately, which would mean he would have not finished last in this competition it would have been Seth Jones at 98.8. But, uh, very clearly, uh, Al McKinnis, Al McKinnis can still rip it. And it looked, you know, it was a very hotly contested contest for a, quite a bit there. Victor Hedman and Mark Giordano both putting up 102.1. And then Elias Pettersson came out and put up 102.4. It even kind of gave a look Shocked like, me, yeah. wow, I can't believe I just did that, uh, but I did. And then John Carlson hit 104.5. And then Shea Weber came out and blasted 106.5 and, and ended the competition. So the, the favorite ended up winning that one. But it was cool to see uh, Elias Pettersson, the one forward out of uh, all of those guys, all the uh, blue liners come out and uh, put on a nice show there. And then we uh, finally got to see it, the uh, NHL Shooting Stars competition. They added it 
to this year's skills comp where they uh, I wasn't sure where they were going to do it at first. I thought maybe they were going to do it like on the side of the concourse, but I think it makes sense where they did it um, on the end um, and uh, kind of had a little platform there. I was a little bit worried that maybe a player would fall off the platform because it didn't look like there was much uh, that was to protect my first, them. That was, who, went, who was it who went first? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, but David Perron. That's right. I was yeah. watching this and I'm like, there's an, and then when Brett Hall got up there, I definitely <laughs> thought he was, he was bailing. That was honestly like we were joking. We know they have the net that were moved to yeah. protect the people in the stands. I don't know if they could have caught Brett Hall. Well, that's the thing. That's what we need the net for, to protect Brett Hall. Luckily, <laughs> yeah. everything went okay. I was so worried he was bailing and we were going to have a massive PR disaster yeah. uh, on our hands in All-Star Weekend. But luckily, he's okay. He had a great line too, Mark, where he was like, yeah, I've been under the arch before. Let's see if I can go uh, in it or something. I was like, okay, is he making a joke about passing out under the arch or is he making a joke just like being, yeah, I've been there before. I was not really sure. I think where the Brett answer is yes. yes. Yes, to both questions. Yeah, yeah. 100% like he is uh, honestly like this showed me just how many sick alumni the Blues have had over the years like they've even you forget like Gretzky played there just had a cup of coffee like oh there he is number 99 okay like I thought they did a really good job of integrating uh, the past players into the night yesterday. So in the end, uh, it went to Patrick Kane, who in the overtime alongside uh, Mitch Marner and, and Ryan O'Reilly, who they gave a couple of chances to because he was, you know, he's the St. Louis Blue. Of course, Patrick Kane hits the uh, two-point shot in uh, overtime. Now, the, the setup for what this one was interesting. And I, like a lot of people made this point, the biggest target available to the shooters in this one was the uh, St. Louis Arch. It's 10 points. It's the biggest possible target. That's the highest possible score you can get on any single shot. Have these people never played an arcade game before? If you never played like skee ball, you never put the highest possible point in the easiest possible target. Well, so I'm going to give you a little public relations lesson here. This is not trying to game it to keep scores down. No, no, no. It's the opposite. Trying to goose scores up. What's more exciting? Mitch Marner eking out a 4-2 win or a 55 to 40 win or whatever the case may be. They're just trying to trying to make these numbers look higher, more impressive. It's already a completely arbitrary thing, so why not try to jack the numbers up as much as That's you possibly true. can? I, I think my, my issue with it, though, is that we didn't see anybody try outside of, I think, David Pasternak, who, you know, I think he just missed it like his first shot sailed to the other goal and scored four points but nobody was trying to hit any of the other targets it was like well why do you need the other ones out there you might as well just put 10 and just leave that in the middle of the ice and if you can hit it you can hit it if you miss it you miss it instead of putting oh here's a little basket with five Here's a little basket with two. Here's one with four. Like, what was I like the, your game master what, voice What there. was the point of that, Mark? It was just like, okay, nobody's shooting for these other targets. Nobody's trying to hit them, so why are they out there? Yeah, like, why wouldn't the net at the very opposite end of the arena and, you know, just the point of hockey score on the other team's <laughs> net? Just, like, why wouldn't that have been the, you know, the 10.1 or whatever? I'm, I'm kind of with you there, but... and. Brent, I subscribe to your theory about, hey, it's about keeping the scores up. It's like, okay, yes, I completely agree. But then why aren't you giving Mitch Marner the 10 points there to to jack up the scores a little bit? Like, I know he went over the the arch, I guess, but like, come on here. It's all-star skills competition. Like, are we really splitting hairs like this? Come yeah. on. Well, we're, we're about to split hairs because Mitch Marner absolutely got jobbed last night. <laughs> Letting Ryan O'Reilly get an extra crack at it. At, let him, they let Brett Hall take his final chance. Of course, Brett Hall, as we mentioned, he almost fell off the stage, so it won't shock you to know he got zero points on his attempt. And then they give O'Reilly a second try. He doesn't even really hit the target. They still give him the 10 points anyway. Mitch Marner hits it in pretty much the same spot O'Reilly did. He doesn't get credit. 
I cannot believe I'm this worked up about Mitch Marner getting jobbed in the All-Star All -Star Skills competition. Well, I think it was weird because the arch that they, they set up, it was like, you know, too many people were shooting it just over it and it was hitting the back of the thing. And that's why I agree with Mark. It's like, well, if you can just hit it, you should just get it. Like, it shouldn't have to just go into the net. Like, whoever built these, the engineer that built these, uh, you know, things to hold the pucks, like, didn't really think too much about, like, uh, well, okay, what if it, like, goes in an arc and it hits the back? Do we still count that or does it have to go directly into the net? Like, it was, it, it confused so many people because even on TV, like, it looked like Mitch Marner hit it, but in fact, it, like, hit the back and then rolled into the back of the net. So, I don't know. I, I like the fact that they were being, you know, more uh, innovative. They're trying some different things this year, trying to spice it up. I think it's good. I, I actually enjoyed watching it. I just think they need to make some more tweaks to it uh, to, to make it just, you know, more less confusing for people watching at home and just more, not challenging, but just like make it more interesting so players don't keep shooting at the same target over and over and over again. As long as they don't touch, like I said, the skeleton of this event, as long as I always get fastest skater in the way it's currently constructed, as long as they bring back my foam targets for accuracy shooting and we still have the hardest shot, you could try whatever event you want. I don't know that this one wholly worked the way they wanted to, but it was something completely different, and it did make me kind of peek in on it for a second. So I am all for trying all these different events. I don't know that we need to see this one next year. I think it worked out very well that there was the landmark, the arch. It kind of all tied together. Try new events, but don't ever, ever, ever mess with those main three. And please bring me back environmentally safe. Got a good point by you, but foam target. I think the one thing that I was surprised that they they didn't have this year, I guess they got rid of, was the skill relay. This used, used to be oh, my yeah. favorite thing where they, like, you know, Patrick Kane would seemingly win it every year where you dangle through the the, 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 the little pucks there and then you skate around the pylons and then you sauce them into those little baskets. Like, I thought uh, they would bring that back because that's actually one of my favorites. But uh, they, they obviously replaced that with this uh, shootout skills competition for uh, 2020 at the very least. Just as an aside, the sport that does it right is the NFL Pro Bowl it's been incredible. Dodge, dodgeball game. Yeah. That, People don't talk about enough how good the Pro Bowl skills showdown is. Like it's, it's got wide it's receivers the doing the QB drills. It's it's tremendous. It's great. Like actually great skills challenge that nobody watches. Yeah. They do do a lot of stuff though that, you know, seemingly would be very unsafe, you would think. Like, I think the gauntlet, there's one part where they have to essentially lift what looks to be like a garage door yeah. <laughs> and then walk under it. But there's just a lot of things you're like, uh, like, I hope that's not in my your contract, that if you get hurt doing this, then you're going to have to, you know, give back some of your money or something like this. It just feels a little too dangerous for the Pro Bowl weekend where you're just supposed to be, you know, taking a break and just chilling out. Hey, I'm not going to, if if the Pouncy brothers think they can, like, lift a gauntlet or, you know, <laughs> lift like a truck or something, I'm not going to be the ones telling them they can't do it. That's that's it. I won't tell a pouncy he can't do anything ever. So yeah, That's true. That's a good idea. So the NHL All-Star Game will uh, go tonight from St. Louis. You can watch it this evening on Sportsnet. We'll see how Frederick Anderson and uh, Mitch Marner do. We'll see what kind of outfit Austin Matthews is going to wear this evening. He was uh, rocking the Ron Burgundy turtleneck with the uh, the jacket. Uh, you know, people are saying, oh, okay, he was copying Ron Burgundy. I think he was copying Carolyn Cameron. Carolyn Cameron had the uh, turtleneck and uh, suit going last night too. So uh, I, I think that's where Austin was going and maybe not Ron Burgundy. But should be a lot of fun tonight, 8 o'clock on Sportsnet and CBC. More to come. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Brent Gunning, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Brent Gunning, Mark Boffo with you. Andrew Holland, our technical director. Just looked it up, Boffo. You were asking me for about the uh, St. Lunatics. Ali is one of them, but Thank not Ali G. I knew there was an Ali. <laughs> it is uh, Nelly, Ali, Murphy Lee, who I think is the most famous outside of Nelly, uh, Kaywan, Kaiwan, and uh, City Spud is the other one. The forgot one. I have no idea. But- City Spud, also a mainstay on uh, Nelly's hit single, Ride With Me. Oh, there you go. Look at this. Pop-up video over here, Mark Boffo. Um, what a show. What a Bring show. Bring it back. So many years spent watching uh, Pop-up Video in the summer. And now because of that, I'm off. still like, oh, did you know the guy in this video was actually <laughs> the third lead on NYPD Blue? Like The uh, the ones that always stand out to me, uh, Glory Days, Pop-up Video. Yes. Yep. And Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Okay. Uh, those are the two like I felt were on just on repeat no. all the time on pop-up video. You know which one I always And take on me. Oh classic. Yeah. But uh the one that always stuck out to me was B-52's uh, Love Shack. <laughs> and one, one of the one of the uh one of the factoids in there was like Hey, the Los Angeles Lakers loved Shaq so much that they gave him a $100 million deal oh in God. 1998 or whatever it I was. forgot about that. Some so of like, them just have nothing to do with the actual song itself and just like play off the words. And the you just imagine a producer and they're like, we got about uh, four more in there. Yeah. And it's like, uh, sorry, I don't have anything. It's like, look, it's called Love Shaq. Uh, get something about Shaq in there, okay? It's not that hard. Yeah, you knew that uh, the video probably shouldn't have been there if they were like really stretching it out to try to find factoids for... Some of these songs. Like but, now uh, they'll be doing that. It wouldn't even be pop-up video. It'd be like pop-up TikTok or something like that. Yeah, dude. Children. Like, I, like, I still watch the occasional music video on the internet, like on YouTube, but I'm not like dying if I don't see the latest video for, you know, such and such song. Same here. Yeah. Like if I don't see the music video for Yummy by Justin Bieber, like I'm okay. I'll live. Like, I think I'll be fine with that. Speaking of Justin Bieber, we didn't even mention last night. He was a hot topic. Maybe just yeah. a bit too much a topic. Tomas Hurdle rocking the uh, Justin Bieber uh, mask, if you will, and trying to score on Jordan Bennington. I was surprised he was even able to see out of that mask. I don't eye, think he could. The eyelets were a little too small, <laughs> and uh, I'm not, I, th- I was afraid he was just going to skate himself into the boards, but uh, that would have been a cool moment uh, to see uh, Thomas Hurdle being able to score on Jordan Bennington wearing the Justin Bieber mask. Maybe the Biebs will be in attendance tonight. Uh, at the All-Star Game. We shall see. It's an 8 o'clock start on Sportsnet and CBC. So the Maple Leafs on their All-Star break will be back at it on uh, Monday when they visit the Nashville Predators. And today, the Maple Leafs recalling Jake Muzzin and Trevor Moore from their conditioning stint with the uh, Marlies. Uh, Muzzin was in the lineup last night as uh, they took on, uh, was it Cleveland, maybe, in that game last night? The Monsters. The Monsters and uh, didn't get to see how many minutes Jake Muzzin played. The uh, AHL.com website uh, does not track minutes played, apparently, uh, on a per-game basis. As Welcome far as their box scores. Couldn't see it. But uh, anyways, Jake Muzzin skated last night following that trip to Augusta National with uh, Kasperi Kapanen, Frederick Anderson, and uh, William Nylander. So that's good that Jake Muzzin actually played a game because people are wondering, like, oh, this guy's coming back from a broken foot. He's going to be playing golf. That's a good sign, I guess, that he's able to do stuff. But he actually played in a game last night and came away seemingly healthy and unscathed. So it looks like Jake Muzzin will be making his return to the Maple Leafs on Monday when they visit the Nashville Predators and they open up the second half of their season. We, of course, got the news the other day. Austin Matthews dealing with a uh, wrist injury. He's been rocking like a brace on his wrist during uh, All-Star weekend. Don't think he had it on last night, uh, but he was wearing it uh, earlier uh, in the week uh, in St. Louis. But 
The Maple Leafs, you know, find themselves in a tough spot right now on the outside looking in at a playoff spot. They're four points back of Florida, who uh, are on a nice little streak here, 8-2-0 and in their last 10. They've won six in a row to leapfrog the Maple Leafs and take over that third spot in the Atlantic Division. The Maple Leafs, uh, after that incredible start with uh, Sheldon Keefe, I mean, it looked like, okay, uh, not that it was their home and cooled, but you felt pretty confident about their chances. Florida was you know, sliding at that time as well. Montreal has fallen way back, same with Buffalo. Uh, but the Panthers are surging right now, and they uh, look pretty good uh, moving forward here. And the Maple Leafs, like I mentioned, going to be in a bit of, uh, bit of a dogfight here uh, to take down the Panthers, chase them down. They're only four points back. There's still a lot of games left to be played. But it's pretty evident, gentlemen, that uh, this is going to be a tough stretch for the Maple Leafs over the final few months of this season to try to land a playoff spot. This is where the real work needs to begin starting on uh, Monday against the Nashville Predators. Well, I mean, we were talking about it the other day, guys, and it, like, they need to go all out in the second half. Like, if 33 games remaining, I was saying that they need to be hovering around like 18 to 20 wins or, or at least picking up some points because you've like, it got to the point where expect expectations have now changed where it's like, we need to see an improvement based off of last year's uh, playoff exit. You'd like to at least see them, you know, host a game seven instead of having that game seven on the road and have get to that point through better seating. But now it's just like, you've been you know, you were bad under Babcock. You've gotten off to a great start under Keefe, and now it's kind of you've been treading water a little bit. There's been peaks and valleys with this team now, and now I think if you're a Lee fan and you're following this team, you just need to see them get in with the with the hope that, you know, you, we've seen uh, teams that have snuck in before go on deep runs, and you just kind of have to take your chances at this point because you've, you know, you are what your record says you are, and this is the reality for the Leafs. So 33 games left, if my math is correct, which is always a extremely dicey proposition, that's 66 points. If they pick up 40 more, that gets them to 97, which feels like a playoff team to me. So that kind of lets you know there, there's not a lot of room for error the rest of the way. I still haven't wavered from my belief that this, this team can be a few points better than Florida. Yes, the run Florida's gone on has made that math. You know, when I was saying this a couple of weeks ago, it was they just need to be two points better. Now they need to be five. But I, I, I still believe over the over the last 30 or so games of the season that the Leafs can be five point, points better than the Florida Panthers. And, you know, it feels like with everything that's gone on this year, there is a lot of questions and can they do it? But at the end of the day, I think if you just put those two rosters up against each other, I still have confidence that the Leafs can pick up five more points and that's all it takes to get in. And if you get in like as if the Leafs play, if the Leafs play good enough hockey, the rest of the way to get into the playoffs, I am absolutely not writing them off in a series against Tampa Bay lightning. But like Florida for me, like they just seem, it seems to me like the only thing that's not going right for them at this point is Bobrovsky. Like not just because of the, the contract and the money that comes with it, but you haven't been getting saves from him, but I'm kind of of the belief that it's like you can turn things around a little bit too in between the pipes. Like you can get hot just as you can get cold, right? So I feel like, yeah, the, I think the Leafs are a better team than than Florida, and I'm with you that they should finish ahead of them and get some, not only finish ahead but get some separation with them. But when the Achilles heel has been your goaltender and we've seen the caliber of play that – you know, Bobrovsky can, can bring to the table. That's a bit concerning to me that like, if he can find his game in the second half, then you've, they're already a high scoring team. They've got some great guys there with 
Barkov and Huberto, et cetera. Vitrano, like I think it was like Noah Chari has like 18 goals. Yeah. Like they they're just getting good production from guys deep in their lineup. But yeah, like for me, if Bobrovsky turns it around in the second in the unofficial second half here, I think uh, like the Panthers are a team you got to keep an eye on, and you don't want to like you don't want to put yourself in that position. No, you you don't. The unfortunate thing is they already have, and I I, I hear what you're saying about Bobrovsky, but I guarantee you, uh, not that they're doing a ton of hockey talk uh, in uh, in Sunrise, Florida, but if they are, they're sitting here saying. Look at how much has gone wrong for the Leafs, and they're five points back. They have had Riley out for a chunk of time, Muzzin out for a chunk of time. Freddie Anderson has hit the skids lately. John Tavares has missed time. Mitch, and again, I'm not making excuses, but it's just you kind of tend to, you you just wash those things away when it's the team you focus on all the time, and when it's, other, when it's another team, take Florida, for example, you give them credit for having overgone or overcome some of these things. So that that's where I still tend to have confidence in the Leafs, but... You know, it's going to be really interesting because there are going to be lineup decisions to come. I mean, this this Trevor Moore thing, we, we've talked all about Jake Muzzin getting back in the lineup. Trevor Moore was a guy who had pretty quickly early on in the year supplanted himself as he is one of these guys. Maybe he's the 11th forward, but he's he's a forward on this team. And, you know, not to say he doesn't deserve a look, but there have just been there's so many deserving guys battling it out for those 11th, 12th spots. I'm curious to see who's going to end up getting those minutes there. Yeah, I think it will be uh, really interesting, too. You I mean, you look at that left side, it's been so, so good with guys like Pierre Engvall and, of course, Ilya Mikheyev before he got hurt. Andreas Janssen's back now. Zach Hyman, of course, uh, plastered on that left side alongside Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner. Trevor Moore, you would have to think, slots into uh, that fourth-line spot right now and replaces a guy like Dimitro Timoshov. But, you know, the cap situation, is that something the Maple Leafs have to play with here? Um, you know, they have some intriguing uh, options right now on the left side, especially with the return of uh, Trevor Moore. Jake Muzzin, meanwhile, you know, steps in perfectly. Uh, Martin Marincin, you know, we understand his deficiencies and we understand that he's a polar guy I think he's been fine since uh, jumping into that spot and taking over perfect word for it yeah he's been fine has he been amazing no has he been terrible like a lot of people like to make him out to be no he's been fine and that's what you're expecting from a seventh eighth defenseman on your team a guy that can come in you can put him in and just be like yeah okay you're fine some days it's gonna be good some days it's gonna be bad but at the end, you're going to be okay. Um, so I think, uh, you know, Jake Muzzin will replay, uh, replace him, take his spot right there alongside Justin Hall, and that will once again be the uh, shutdown pair. Rasmus Sandin, of course, has looked pretty good at times. Uh, Travis Dermott, who I thought, you know, filled in okay, even, you know, when Jake Muzzin was gone alongside Justin Hall. You know, he uh, obviously slots back down as well. And I think this is where it's going to be interesting because, you know, Rasmus Sandin, Travis Dermott, and uh, Jake Muzzin all uh, left-hand shots. I mean, I, I think... When you look at the pairs moving forward here, uh, Cody CC and Travis Dermott were, you know, not too bad actually when they were put together in sheltered minutes. But do you want Sandine and Tyson Berry together, or do you keep Sandine and CC together? Do you keep uh, Berry and uh, Dermott together now? I think it's going to be interesting to see where uh, Sheldon Keith decides to go there come on Monday when the Maple Leafs take on the Predators. I think Muzzin and Hall is very obvious. Like that's going to be the the pairing moving forward. So. A lot of options right now when it comes to uh, his lineup for uh, Sheldon Keefe. Now, Frederick Anderson, as we talked about, has been on a bit of a skid of late. And you could even make the case outside of November. He's been on a a season-long skid. It was the one month where he was absolutely incredible. These are the ebbs and flows of NHL goaltenders, guys, outside of a a handful of players. And Freddie Anderson, you know, has been one of those guys, I think, uh, has been very consistent throughout his time with the Maple Leafs. But 
you're going to go through these stretches where you just look absolutely terrible and people are wondering what's wrong. Does he need a break? Is he getting overworked? Only Freddie Anderson knows the answers to these questions about what has gone wrong of late. He's been giving up a lot of these five hole goals um, as well. But, you know, this is kind of the conversation we've had in previous years. Like they don't have any other options. They're not going out and getting an Alexander Georgiev to take starts away from Frederick Anderson at this point. Like, He's their guy, and they're going to play him in as many games as they feel comfortable with. Um, you know, maybe they do look at the backup goalie and and find an upgrade there. But this team will go as far as Freddie Anderson. You know, can take them if he's this bad. They're not making the playoffs. But if he can be November Freddie, they're making the playoffs, and they're a dangerous team. So uh, that's basically you know it's black and white when it comes to the goaltending situation. Well, I mean, I just feel like that's the case for a bunch of teams in the national hockey league. Like if your goalie's going good, it, it solves a lot of problems for you. Like I've been, I've been watching the Leafs lately and it's, it's really reminded me of these like Matt Sundin, Curtis Joseph led teams from the early two thousands where it's like they had nobody on defense. Well, I shouldn't be insulting like that. The defenseman that they had leave Corey cross alone. <laughs> hey, big OT winner. That That's one right. playoff here. Uh, no, but like the defensemen they had were talented, but not all around players. They tended to lean more to the, the offensive side and McCabe and Caberlet and guys like that. And, you know, you had, you had guys like, you know, good, solid defensemen, but you were really looking at your forwards led by Sundin and Roberts and all those guys that they signed and, and Curtis Joseph to bail you out with some saves. And now it's just kind of, you're kind of seeing that when you're not getting those saves from Anderson, you need to upgrade the blue line a little bit. And I still stand by what I said on the show a couple of weeks ago, where I don't think Janssen or Kapanen will be with this team uh, past the summer. I think one's gone either at the deadline or uh, at the draft. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been harping on the point that if you do want to change this team, the simplest way to do it is to send Ka- one of Kapanen or Janssen along with Cody CC out the door. And then that opens up seven, eight, nine million dollars a room for you to kind of work with there. Yes. No one wants to take on Cody CC's contract all by himself, but if you attach uh, quite the sweetener in uh, Janssen or Kapanen, it allows you to do that. So I, I, I think that that's a move that can be explored, but in getting back to Freddie Anderson, I think it's very simple parts of teams have to lift up and pick one another up. And there have been plenty of nights where the Leafs have not had it. And Anderson's stolen games, not as much this year, but in the past. And now it's time. Look, Austin Matthews is doing his part. He just had one of the greatest goal scoring runs uh, we've seen. And apparently he did it with a bad wrist. So we know he's going to do his part, but this is where the offense look, this is an offensive juggernaut. And while the goalie's struggling, they've got to be it. And hopefully at some point in that time, Anderson finds his footing. And then you, you find that happy marriage as you're rolling into the playoffs. But while he's struggling, the team is going to have to outscore his problem. And the good thing is they're more than capable of that if they play up to their ability. Yeah, we'll see how they do uh, coming out of the all-star break Monday on the road in Nashville against the Predators. When we come back, we'll talk a little tennis. Milos Raonic, the only Canadian left at the Australian Open as uh, his young predecessors in uh, Milo, uh, sorry, Denis Shapovalov, Felix Auger-Eliassime, those guys uh, losing in the first round. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about the Super Bowl as we are getting ready for that in a week's time. That and more still to come. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Brent Gunning, Mark Boffo, Sportsnet Radio Network. Subscribe to the Scoreboard Podcast with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand.
Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Long, Mark Boffel, Brent Gunning with you. Not ashamed to say I have performed this once or twice at karaoke. This is a karaoke staple, right? If you ever go to a karaoke bar, someone is singing this song. You need something you could sink your teeth into. Yeah. This is definitely <laughs> this is, it. This is a good warm-up. You can do good... duets if you want with this. Yeah. Lots of uh, lots of options. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of options. But uh, I don't do the dance. Like, I don't try to dance that way in the, the Love Shack music video. You're more of a flosser, I think. Yeah, I think so. Like Bonnie Marner. That's I'm a, right. I'm a flosser like Bonnie Marner, Mitch Marner's mom, who uh, remember did that uh, a couple of years. Was it last year on the mom's trip? On the mom's trip. Yeah. I was actually wondering when the Leafs are going to have their dad's trip because uh, I think they now alternate. I think it's a mom's trip last year, dad's trip this year, and it's like, whoo, hope not anytime soon because, boy, would it not have been fun to have been on a dad's trip uh, over the last two games, uh, Florida and then Chicago ending the break. It's like, how are you feeling tonight, son? Was it great losing 8-2 to two or uh, whatever <laughs> the final was? Yeah. Yeah, well, looking at some of the upcoming games, uh, Nashville on Monday, Dallas on uh, Wednesday, New York, Montreal, Ottawa, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Florida. So I don't know, maybe somewhere in there, Dad's trip. Maybe it's the Florida trip. Maybe when they head back down Want some to weather, uh, Florida sure. in uh, late February to take on the Lightning and the Panthers. So the Aussie Open continuing today. Milo Sraunich, the uh, only Canadian left in this one. And it's funny, we talk a lot about uh, Felix Ogilvy-Assim. We talk a lot about Denis Shapovalov being the future and really even the, the present of Canadian tennis. Both of those guys, uh, you know, climbing up the rankings. Felix, the highest-ranked Canadian right now on the men's side of things. But here's old Milos at 29 years old, still showing he can get it done. And uh, what a big win that was in the third round over Stefano Tsitsipas, the uh, sixth seed a straight sets victory for Milos Raonic who uh, will now take on Marin Cilic tonight in the uh, fourth round he's uh, always had success at the Aussie Open of course with the hard court we know how good he can be there Um, but this is just another reminder like hey he's 29 years old he's been around forever but when he's healthy he's one of the top players on the uh, men's side still has that ability Uh, I don't think anybody's expecting him to uh, you know make it you know, to the final or anything in this one. He's got a, a long road to get there, and he's got some tough competition with the big names still left to go. Uh, but it's just nice to see that Milos is sort of having a rebound to his uh, season this year and still showing people that he can get it done on the biggest stages. Raonic is still one of the game's best servers, and when he's able to really, really attack people with that weapon, it just sets him up to have success elsewhere, and obviously the hard court makes it a little more conducive to that style of, of play for him. It, it's not too surprising to me. Obviously, you know, I wouldn't have been shocked that he made the run to the round of 16 beating tc pass that's an incredible upstart or upset i mean that's one of the kind of next wave of guys we, we joke in tennis that there's been about five waves of next guys but the big three just last so long maybe he maybe tc pass is part of that group that finally you know ends up toppling them but for for roundage to get this win it, it's just a nice reminder for exactly what he can do you know he's been a little maligned i've definitely done it on this station it's frustrating to watch a guy who you kind of put your country's you know slam hopes in and it feels like he's all always hurt feels like every time there is some momentum he ends up getting hurt so to see him here if he's able to pick up a win you know Chilich unranked right now uh, that could just be because of injuries that have affected him I, I, you know not to say he can take him lightly but if you're able to do that then that sets up a quarterfinal date likely with Novak Djokovic and if you if you make it to the quarters and you get waxed by Djokovic in a grand slam eh, good job that's a good week as far as I'm concerned he's kind of you know unfairly or not like the forgotten man uh just on the tour with with uh, the development of uh, Felix Ojealiasim and and Chapo and then of course Bianca taking the world by storm just you know just winning the US Open so in Canadian tennis i mean he was just kind of 
you know, just kind of thrown to the wayside last year. So it's nice to see that he's gotten off to uh, a great start in the very first major of the year. And like you mentioned, Brent, his serve is one of the best in the men's game. So when you have a weapon like that, it's, you know, it's, you're always going to be, you know, in matches and people are going to be, we- opponents are going to be weary of that. So hopefully he can keep it going. Yeah, that'd be nice to see. Uh, Milos just needs to stay healthy in 2020. I think that's what we're all hoping for and wishing for. Sounds like my New Year's resolution. It's like (laughs) other people are like, you know what? I'm going to get a new job or I'm going to learn a new language. I'm like, I I just want to make it through to 2021. That's all I'm looking to do, me and Milos. Without having to go rehab any sort of uh, injury. Almost certainly a back. Um, It's still, you know, unlikely that he's ever going to win one of the big ones because these uh, top players, whether it's Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, still hanging around, Tsitsipas, some of those guys still getting it done. So uh, it's always going to be tough for uh, Milos Raonic to, to finally crack through and, uh, you know, win one of these majors. But uh, it's just nice to see that he's having some success right now at the Australian Open. All right, wanted to spend a couple of minutes. Of course, uh, we are one week away, just a little, a little over a week away from the Super Bowl Chiefs and uh, 49ers. We've got the Pro Bowl going tomorrow. Do you guys ever watch the Pro Bowl? Nope. Nope. Never. Awful. Never. Hardly ever, no. Yeah, more of a skills showdown guy now when it comes to uh, the Pro Bowl. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to like think about the Super Bowl like in the random week leading up to it. It's not really crossing your mind. For me, you're thinking about it right after the AFC and NFC Championship games, and then this week off, you're just like, whatever, we'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, but now we're starting to ramp up. I mean, this week there will be a lot of chatter about the Super Bowl. We're going to hear from the players, media day. They're going to see all that crazy stuff that we always see at media day, wedding proposals and people wearing goofy outfits. I feel and- like Gronk will almost certainly be a reporter for someone. <laughs> I feel like that's very much in play. Yeah, but the lead-up to it is always uh, exciting and intriguing. We're going to see some great you know, vignettes and some stories about you know players and how the hardships hard- the hardships of getting to this point and look i'm not mocking it there there are a lot of great stories um out there but that's that's what's great about you know the the championship game uh, the super bowl especially that you know the build up to it the nfl just does such a good job to get you invested in it um that by the time the game comes you're just like super jacked and and, and super hyped i haven't wavered i still think the chiefs find a way to get this done i think patrick mahomes is a generational talent um you know this chiefs team has its warts but when you put the ball in that guy's hand, uh, magic can happen. And uh, I'm still leaning the Chiefs as it stands right now. I don't think I'm going to waver. Not much is going to make me move off them heading into uh, you know n- next Sunday. But where do you guys stand right now as we're uh, a little over a week away? I'm siding with you. I think it'll be the Chiefs. I, I'm just right there in lockstep with you, Rob. I think that Mahomes just is the clearly the better quarterback in the matchup and if that prolific offense gets off to a hot start, uh, you're going to need to put the ball in Garoppolo's hands. Whereas, you know, last game against the the Packers in the NFC championship, they just ran it the entire game. And I don't know if you can do that against the Chiefs. So I'm signing with Casey. Yeah. San Fran doesn't trust their quarterback and you cannot win a game against an offense like the Chiefs have if you don't trust your quarterback. So unless unless Jimmy Garoppolo is going to mag- magically get rid of the turnovers or they're actually going to trust him to go win the game, I agree with you guys. It will be the Chiefs and I, I think it'll kind of be big. Yeah, well, I just think we saw, you know, last week, the Titans tried to do it, right? They got off to that start. They were trying to ground and pound 
run out the clock as fast as they could. And then Patrick Mahomes was like, nah, we're, we're just going to put up some points and you guys got to try to catch up. And I think that's what's going to happen in this game. I know the 49ers defense is, you know, much better than the Titans, but a good offense is better than a good defense. And I think Patrick Mahomes is going to show that. Especially with two weeks to prepare. Yeah, especially with two weeks to prepare. Uh, Andy Reid, we know how good he is out of those bye weeks. And this is his, uh, you know, big chance. Might be his final chance to, you know, win the big one in the, the Super Bowl as the Chiefs will take on the 49ers. That'll do it for us on this edition of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Thanks to Brent Gunning and thanks to Mark Boffo. Coming up next, we'll switch over to Sportsnet today. We'll do the 411 and let you know what you need to know on this busy Saturday. We'll also talk some Raptors later and uh, take a look around the NHL at the mid-season point. Uh, coming up, Sportsnet today here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.